that was empty on the inside. There was nothing in that egg. And I thought that's a beautiful picture of Judas Iscariot. Here Judas has been in the carton of the Christ followers for three years. And from the outside, he looked the same. He looked like a follower of Jesus. He looked like a child of God. He looked like a true believer. But on the inside, he was empty and he was dry and there was absolutely nothing there. But you didn't know that until you opened him up and you looked inside and you found no life and you found no powder. Now, it would have been interesting to me after Judas killed himself and the early church is beginning to get started. If we could have gotten Matthew and Nathaniel and Peter and James and John and some of the other disciples together, Thomas, and said, hey guys, look, for three years, you were with Judas Iscariot day and night. You heard him talk. You, 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 you saw everything about, it. was there any moment in those three years that you scratched your head and said to yourself, is Judas... Is he really, does Judas believe like we believe? Is he really one of, is Judas really in love with Jesus like we are in love with Jesus? Or, or is Judas just following Jesus for his own benefit? I don't know what the disciples would have said. Maybe one of them would have said, well, you know, there was this one thing that happened and it, it made me wonder, I dismissed it, but it did make me wonder at a time. We do know this, years later, by the time the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew and John to write their gospels, they knew then that Judas wasn't the real deal. There were some things about Judas's life. Even today, when you read the gospel of Matthew and you read the gospel of John and even Mark and Luke, you see some things that give Judas away before you get to the betrayal of Jesus and before you get to him hanging himself. There were some things in his life that gave him away. And I want to mention those today because it it may be today that these same things give you away. It may be today that these same things God will use to reveal to you, hey, you're following Jesus, but you never have really believed in Jesus. You don't really have a relationship with Jesus. You're just following Jesus because everybody else that you know is following Jesus, but you don't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Billy Graham said, that in his estimation, only God knows if he was right or wrong, in his estimation, 50% of church members are unsaved. I pray he's wrong. One day when we get to heaven, we'll find out. But that was his estimation. And so maybe today God will use this for all of us, whether we're saved or unsaved, to cause us to look in our lives and say, do I have any of these things in me that Judas had in him and in the first service, three grown men stood to be saved after God took this and worked in their own heart. The first thing that gave Judas away was his lifestyle. His lifestyle gave him away. Now turn back a few pages to John chapter 12. And here we are, just a few days before the crucifixion, they're in a city called Bethany, which is about two miles from Jerusalem. It's the town where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live, those three siblings. And we read in verse two of John 12, they made Jesus a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with Jesus. Now Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Now he's sitting and having dinner with Jesus. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. 
and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Sometimes the most critical people in churches and the most critical people of other Christians or of Christians are those who are not Christians themselves. Why y'all wait? Why did you waste all this money? This could have been sold and given to the poor. Look at verse six. This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was in it. We would say that Judas was the treasure of the disciples and he carried around a money box and when they saw somebody that had a special need, maybe a widow or somebody uh, with hard times, they they would give them money from the money box. But the Bible says here that Judas, during these three years, there were times that he would open the money box and take some money out and buy a new shirt or buy something to eat or do something for himself. It'd be the same today as a pastor or a church leader taking money from the offering plate and saying, well, I think I'll just take this and go buy a new outfit, or I think I'll take this and go to lunch, or I think I'll take this and make a car payment. His lifestyle gave him away. All those years, there were times when he was doing that. He was a thief. And what do thieves do? Thieves steal. Let me give you a scripture verse. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for God's seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, what does this mean? If you sin, you're not born of God, and if you're saved, you can't sin. It doesn't mean that if we're saved, we never sin. This is in the present tense in Greek, and it's saying if a person is saved, yes, there will be times when we slip up, when we sin, when we do something we know we shouldn't have done. That's just the experience of being human. But the Bible is saying if a person lives a lifestyle of sin where there's no repentance, where there's no shame, where there's no stopping that, there's no attempt, it's just a lifestyle. The Bible is saying that person never has been saved. I think all of us have heard the story. Sometimes we'll say this about, not the story, but the saying, we'll say this about somebody. We'll say, well, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck, it's a what? It's a duck. Now, Judas looked like a Christian. He sounded like a Christian, but he didn't walk like a Christian. And it was his walk, his lifestyle that gave him away. The way he lived his life didn't match up to his profession of faith. One of the ways we know that we're saved is when we sin, we feel rotten. We confess that and we repent of that and we turn away from that. And one of the ways we know a person's not saved, they don't do any of that. They just, their lifestyle is one of that. And his lifestyle gave him away. Another thing that gave Judas away was his love of money. Is anything wrong with money? No. But the Bible says the love of money, the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy 6.10. In Matthew chapter 6, in verse 24, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and riches. Doesn't say you can't have God and riches, but you can't serve God and riches. And for Judas, his love of money was greater than his love of Jesus. He spent more time thinking about money than he spent thinking about Jesus. Now, turn back to Matthew chapter 26. I'll show you this. We've already seen here how he stole money. He took money that didn't belong to him, but that wasn't where his money problem ended. He even devised a scheme to get money 
in an ungodly and an unlawful way in chapter, or certainly an ungodly way in chapter 26 and verse 14. Let me let you find that. Matthew 26 and in verse 14. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray Jesus. See, that, that, that gives him away. This man's not saved. He is literally betraying Jesus. He's, he's a traitor. He's a Benedict Arnold. He is turning on Jesus for what? For money, for 30 pieces of silver. And his love of money gave him away. I'll tell you what else gave him away. His lack of intimacy with Jesus gave him away. Now you're in Matthew chapter 26. Look down in verse number 20. The disciples now are in the upper room. It's the night before the crucifixion. Jesus is having the Passover meal with his disciples and he's about to institute the Lord's Supper. But notice in verse 20, when evening had come, Jesus sat down with the 12. Now as they were eating, Jesus said, assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful and each of them began to say, Lord, is it I? Underline that word Lord. He answered and said, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The son of man indeed goes just as it was written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And Jesus said to him, you have said it. But underline that word rabbi. Maybe your Bible says teacher. It's interesting. 11 of the disciples referred to Jesus as Lord. Judas refers to Jesus as rabbi or teacher. It's a more, it's a more formal way to address Jesus. It, there's no relationship. There's nothing personal about that. Now, certainly, he could have called Jesus Lord and still been unsaved. Jesus said at the final judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. So it's not necessarily what we call Jesus, but I do think there's something significant here about the fact that Judas never, he didn't hear, call Jesus Lord. He called him rabbi. His lack of intimacy with Jesus gave him away. Let me say this, without a love for Jesus, you and I are only a shell of a Christian. There's nothing on the inside. Now, let me make this clear about Judas. Some people say, well, Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, he lost his salvation. Wrong. You can't lose your salvation. Salvation is referred to in the Bible as everlasting life. If you can lose it, it wasn't everlasting. Judas didn't lose his salvation. Judas never had been saved. And the fact that he had no real love in his heart for Jesus, he's got this formal way, rabbi, teacher, instead of just saying Lord or saying even the name Jesus. There's, no, there's nothing intimate here. And that lack of intimacy gave him away. And I'll tell you something else it gave him away. His lousy way, his, the horrible way that he dealt with the guilt in his life. After he had uh, betrayed Jesus, he felt badly about that. His conscience was pricked. His conscience was stirred. His conscience was bothered. And that's a good thing. But he didn't handle it right. Look to chapter 27 of Matthew and in verse number three. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was remorseful. Underline that word remorseful. Notice it doesn't say he was repentant. He didn't come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, but he did feel bad. He was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to you? You see to it. 
Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And so now this money that he had wanted so badly, he has it. 30 pieces of silver, a significant amount of money in Bible times. And yet, when he begins thinking what he's done, what does he do? He goes back to the temple and throws the money down. Why was Judas having these feelings of remorse and regret and guilt and shame? For two reasons. Number one, the money he had gotten didn't, did not satisfy him. And that's obvious by the fact that he took it back and threw it back. And the other reason is he knew that he had betrayed innocent blood. He knew that Jesus was sinless. He knew that Jesus was not worthy of death. And even though he didn't place his faith in Jesus as Savior and wasn't saved, his conscience knew that Jesus Christ was the sinless one. And his conscience was bothered and he felt badly about it, which says to me, one of the ways whether we can know whether or not we're truly saved is how we deal with guilt in our life. Now, we all have guilt because we all sin. Every day we sin. But some people deal with guilt one way and some people deal with guilt another way. Let me just mention some ways people deal with guilt. Some people punish themselves. They, they feel guilty and they are sincere and they are remorseful and they think to themselves, well, what I need to do because I've done this sin, especially if it was something immoral, I've done this immoral act and I feel dirty and shameful because remember what the Bible says, when a person commits sexual sin, they sin against their own body. It's the only sin like that. But it wouldn't have to just be that sin. It could be any sin. You do that sin, you feel guilty and shameful. And so sometimes people will think, well, what I need to do now is just kind of be down in the dumps and beat myself up for a week or two weeks or a month or however long, whatever time period they come up. And then they think after that time's over, then I can kind of get back close to God. The problem with that is that time doesn't forgive sin. I think sometimes we have the idea, well, to show God I'm really sorry, I've got to just beat myself up for a certain period of time because there's something about time that in a month from now, I won't feel as bad about that. Well, you may or may not feel as bad, but in a month from now, the time will not have forgiven sin. Think about this. If time forgave sin, after people had been in hell for several hundred years, they could get out of there, right? There's some who teach purgatory that that you go to hell if you're unsaved and after a certain amount of time, your sins are purged. The word purge is the root word of purgatory. And then you can get out of hell. You get out of that place of suffering, out of that purgatory. Why are they getting out? Because what they're teaching there is time forgives sin. And after you have been remorseful and shameful and punished, whether even you punish yourself for so long, then your sins are forgiven. Friend, let me say this as plainly as I know how to say it. Purgatory is not taught in the Bible. Time doesn't forgive sin. Only the blood of Jesus forgives our sins. But some people don't get it. And they just beat themselves up for sins that they won't ask God to forgive. The number two thing people do, some people suppress their guilt. They just suppress it. They don't want to deal with it. They, get, they throw themselves into alcohol abuse or they throw themselves into drug abuse or they throw themselves into further immorality. Anything they can think of, gambling could be anything, an escape. You could become a workaholic. They, anything you can do to get your mind off the sin and the guilt, they just suppress it and they want to put it down and maybe a hobby or whatever it might be, but that doesn't work because that guilt always going to rise back up to the top. Some people deny their guilt. There's some people who have convinced themselves they have nothing to be forgiven of. 
They just think they, they, they've never done anything wrong. Sometimes you'll see a person even be interviewed and they'll say, have you ever sinned? Do you ever ask God to forgive you of any sins? And they'll hem haw around. And basically they're saying, no, I've never asked God to forgive me of any sins. What are they saying? They, they're denying that they have ever done anything wrong. I, if somebody were to ask me, John, do you ever ask God to forgive you? Of, do I ever ask God? I ask God to forgive me of my sins every day. Some days I have to ask God multiple times in a day to forgive me. But some don't do it that way. Some deny it. I haven't done anything wrong. Folks, there's nobody except Jesus who's never done anything wrong. That thinking about never admit you've done anything wrong, that, I don't know where they got that. They got that from the mafia, but they didn't get that from Jesus. The mafia's number one rule is never admit you did anything wrong. The Christian's number one rule is if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But some people deal with guilt that way. No, I did nothing wrong. Well, if he did nothing wrong, say he did nothing wrong. But if he did something wrong, say he did something wrong. Some people, they don't feel their guilt. It's not that they deny it. They just don't, uh, they don't, they just don't feel it. Listen to this, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. If you've ever been around cattle, and I have growing up in Hopkins County, which in the 80s was the dairy capital of the world, over 500 dairies in Hopkins County. We smell the plants down here. We smell something else in East Texas, but you can recognize both places. But if you've ever been out on a farm, you know that those cattlemen many times will brand their cows. And back in the 80s, they would get a hot iron and brand them. Why? So if a cow ever wandered away or if a cow was stolen, everybody would know who the rightful owner was. Now today, they're not branding cows so much with a hot iron. They're, they're doing what's called a, a freezing type of branding. It's not as painful to the animal. But that hot iron, that's what it talks about here, seared with a hot iron. After a, a, a cow has been branded with a hot iron, you can walk up to that cow and touch that spot where that cow was branded. That cow can't feel that. Those nerves have been killed. There's no sensitate. They've been desensitized. And many times a person has sinned for so long, they've suppressed it. They've denied it. They've blamed somebody else for it that now they can no longer feel their own guilt. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, their spiritual nerves have been desensitized. That is a dangerous place to be because a person could be in that condition so spiritually desensitized that they can never hear the Holy Spirit convicting them again. And then some people are completely overcome by their guilt. It's not that they don't feel it. Brother, they feel it. Judas felt it. He felt, he didn't deny it. He didn't suppress it. He was not unable to feel. Judas felt his guilt and he was so overcome by it that he couldn't take it. And he went out and committed suicide, which is always the wrong thing to do. And he hanged himself and he died. Why? Because he couldn't take the feelings of guilt. But the fallacy of what Judas did, he didn't know that death wouldn't take those guilty feelings away. Think about this. Judas has been in a place called Hades for 2,000 years. And he feels just as guilty, if not worse, now than he did when he went out and hanged himself. Suicide doesn't end a person's life. It ends a person's physical life, but their life goes on. But he was so overcome by the guilt that he couldn't handle that, and he went out and took his life. But some people say, John, these are horrible ways to deal with guilt. They are horrible ways. Some people 
Christian people, people who have truly been born again, what do they do with their guilt? They bring their guilt to the feet of Jesus in confession and repentance. I think about David in the Old Testament. David, someone would say, boy, he was a great sinner. He committed adultery. He committed murder. He broke two commandments in a very short amount of time. Okay, we could say David was a great sinner, but I'll tell you something else about David. David was a great repenter. In Psalm 51, in Psalm 32, cleanse me, God, with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And God forgave David and removed his guilt. And David wanted to live a very productive life for God. I think about Simon Peter. You know, if you think about Peter's sin of denying Jesus, you think about Judas's sin of betraying Jesus, I'm not sure really that there's a lot of difference in those two sins. I mean, denying Jesus is serious. In fact, Jesus said, if you commit that sin, I'll deny you before the Father in heaven. That's a serious sin. And yet, what did Peter do? He brought that sin, he brought that shame, he brought that guilt to Jesus, and Jesus forgave him, and that sin was off the record, and he was cleansed. He brought his guilt to Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Yes or no? Do you think if Judas Iscariot had come to Jesus in repentance and faith and said, Lord, I've done the unthinkable thing. I have betrayed you. I am truly sorry. Please forgive me of what I've done. Yes or no, would Jesus have forgiven him? Yes, Yes, he would have. But he never came to Jesus. He spurned that offer, that opportunity. And he died unsaved, unforgiven, and forever separated from God in heaven. One of the ways that you can know that you're saved is not that you never feel guilty. When we sin, we always feel guilty. And I I pray God give me a a razor sharp conscience so that I'll always feel guilty when I sin. And I do feel guilty when I sin, but I'll tell you what I do with my guilt and my sin. I bring it to Jesus and I ask him to forgive me and to cleanse me. And so as we think about Judas, we're gonna, next week is Father's Day. We'll do something special for that. After that, we're gonna get back into this study of Judas. But the lesson today, not everyone who looks like a Christian is a Christian. It's not what you look like in the carton. It's not what you look look like in the church house. It's what's on the inside of you. And I'm asking you today, on the inside of you, do you have a faith and trust in Jesus? Do you have a deep and abiding love for him that surpasses all other loves? And do you have a desire to honor him in every way in your life? With our heads bowed and eyes closed today, Father, it's not often that an entire sermon would be devoted to Judas Iscariot, and yet this is just the first of three. Because your word is so powerful, so living, such truth, such revelation knowledge, that even by studying the life of Judas, we're seeing people get saved today. I'm asking you today, not are you in the carton, but is there anything on the inside of the shell? Is there spiritual life in you? And after hearing some of these things that gave Judas away, if you say, John, I'm glad you did this sermon today because God has used it to convict me like he did those in the first service, to convict me that I need spiritual life on the inside. And today I need to be saved. How can I do it, John? How can I receive Christ? What can I do with my guilt and my sin and my shame? Bring it to Jesus. 
Don't punish yourself. He was punished for you. Bring it to Jesus right now and pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, you know what I have done. Every sin that I have committed, the ones I did a long time ago, the ones I did last week. And God, I'm equally sorry for both. I'm asking you to forgive those sins. Wash them away in the blood of Jesus. Make them go away. Clean me up. I need to be clean. And Lord, I ask you, as I ask you for that, to come into my heart right now. I need you in, my, in the shell of my life. I've just been an empty shell. I need life in me. And I'm asking you to come into my life. Make me a new person. I'm asking you to save me. And I'm trusting you to do it with all my heart. I'm trusting you, Jesus. Welcome to my heart. Begin now to make me the person you want me to be. This is my prayer today. In Jesus' name, I pray this prayer. And all the people said, amen.